Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Podcast. Now, here's today's message. As Phil introduced, we have a a guest speaker uh, in our midst, and we're very pleased and and, uh, excited to have Mike Mahorder here from our our regional office. Uh, Those of us, some of you know sort of the situation, but at our recent district conference uh, over in Abbotsford, uh, Phil and Corey and Eric and I sat with Mike and uh, uh, David Harita as well to help us think about and just uh, uh, figure out some strategies or just to encourage us really about uh, now that or with in, in light of Barton's resignation and what do we do as a church how do we get things ready and I was really impressed and thankful and grateful to Mike for his uh, wisdom and you'll hear some of that today as well Mike's been in pastoral ministry or had been for for a number of years he's going to give you some of those details um, and and he's going to introduce his wife as well Kathy to we're glad that she's was able to join Mike uh, I pray that, uh, I, I, I hope that you're, you're ready to listen to what he has to say. Not only is he going to speak to us, but we're going to try to wring him dry a little bit. He's also going to meet with our board afterwards and, and uh, spend a few hours charting our steps ahead as a church. And we're excited about that. And I hope you will keep us in your prayers as well for that. But before Mike comes, I'm going to invite Camille to come and read uh, this morning's scripture. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 22, 34 to 40, and John chapter 13, 34 and 35. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew 22. You can refer to the insert in a worship folder or follow along on the words on the screen. If you're able, please stand as we read God's word. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Camille, and worship team. Good morning, Central family. It is great to be with you today. Um, For those of you who are watching online, thank you for inviting us into your home. For those of you who are sitting in this room, I apologize. It's bad enough having to look at me life-size, but the, the monster me looking over my shoulder Um, Our vision at Fellowship Pacific is to innovatively develop relationships and resources that help propel our fellowship churches to fulfill their gospel mandate. 
So we exist to serve the churches. I'm part of uh, a team, the Connect team, and uh, we are involved in areas of church health. So um, uh, things like church planting, discipleship training, board training, uh, uh, team building, uh, mission vision values, uh, pastoral placement, and one of, my, um, one of my main jobs is helping pastors find churches and churches find pastors. Um, David Harita refers to me as the e-harmony of uh, the fellowship office. <laughs> Could be worse, I guess. Um, so uh, I must confess up front that I had a, a, a tiny little part in Steve Edelman and Josh Kazakoff um, leaving. Um, but I had nothing to do with Barton. So uh, as, uh, as Scott mentioned, my wife Kathy is here and uh, she's the colorful one of us. So I'm really glad when she can come uh, with me on things like this. Uh, I have four kids and uh, my claim to fame is 21 grandkids. Um, well, and there's a temporary one now, or at least a potential one. My, one of my kids, uh, they raise foster kids and they have a new little foster girl in their home. Um, I pastored for a little over 40 years. Um, 38 of them in the fellowship, and then I've been involved in the fellowship office. Well, I've been involved in the fellowship um, since pretty much the beginning in boards and committees, and, on, and I've been on staff for almost three years. Um, I've really appreciated getting to know Barton while we, share, we serve together on the board. <clears throat> I'm also Eric Vila's uh, mentor, one of his mentors in the Immerse program, and uh, Josh Kazakoff is also one of those mentors, so I've gotten to know him better. And I, I really, uh, you are blessed with the staff you have, even though you have lost some really good ones. So your vision is renewing our community through the gospel. That is a great vision. What do we mean by the gospel? Many may assume that it refers primarily to, to uh, about talking about evangelism, telling people the good news about Jesus, and that's certainly part of it. But as you know, the gospel is much more comprehensive than just sharing our faith and introducing people to Jesus. It, it affects everything in our lives, and it should encompass all we do as a church from our exaltation and service to God to our attitude toward our society. It should affect how we interact with our community and how we relate to each other. You've gone through a lot in these last three years. You have lost more than your share of pastoral staff. And I do apologize for what tiny little part I may have had of that. Now you're beginning a search for a new pastor. And all of that has been on top of COVID and all of the challenges that this pandemic has brought. And it's easy when you're going through this kind of turbulence um, to get disoriented. 
Agendas can surface. Feelings can get hurt. Priorities can shift. And when Scott asked me to preach this morning, he suggested that I might speak on something that would help you prepare for the process ahead. So I want to encourage and challenge you this morning as you move forward as a church by thinking about what may be the most critical aspect of being Christ's church here today. I actually toyed with the idea of titling this message, keeping the main thing the main thing. And then I watched your farewell, uh, um, Barton's farewell message and thought, okay, yeah, that's not going to fly. If we were to go into the community around this building and ask people what Central Baptist Church is known for, what do you think they would say? Some of, some of them would say, who? Is there a church here? That, that's a little humbling, but it's probably true. But would they know you for your programs or your services uh, or your building and property, which is impressive, or your involvement in the community, your theology, your care for people? If I were to ask those same people what Christians are known for, particularly evangelical Christians, what do you think they would say? What would be the first thing they would think of? Are we known primarily for the issues that we speak about or the things that we're against or the politicians we support? Are we portrayed as compassionate and caring Is love the first word that pops into their heads? Or is it something more like judgmental and intolerant? There are people all around us that have been terribly wounded by churches in their life. Perhaps some of you. Sometimes it was a misunderstanding or their own fault. Too often it's because of a lack of love or even abuse. How can this be? How can the body of Christ on earth, the earthly representatives of the Lord who loved most, not be loving? God has placed this church in this place at this time to touch this community. You are here for a reason as representatives of Jesus to Victoria and beyond. To Victoria and beyond. So if this church is the earthly body of Christ, his hands, his feet, his heart, his voice, with Jesus as your head, how does he want you to be known? So this morning I want to talk to you about what is at the core of renewing your community through the gospel. We're going to focus on the two passages that Camille read where Jesus reminds us of his vision for the church. And as we work through these passages, I'm going to extract five things that Jesus teaches us about love. 
They're not going to be deep, but they are going to be hard. So the first passage is in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. The context of this passage is that it's the week leading up to the crucifixion, and the religious leaders are going after Jesus with everything they've got. They're trying to get him to say something that will turn either the government or the people against him. And so they're throwing their toughest questions at him, and he answers every one of them masterfully. And so then we read in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So ranking the laws and debating which were more important was a popular theological pastime in Jesus' day. There were hundreds of laws that had been identified in the Old Testament. And so there must be some way of determining which ones were serious and which ones were less so. I mean, we still do that, right? I mean, would you rather have me lie to you or murder you? Um, Is porn as bad as having an affair? Is coveting your Rolex or your Zinn um, as bad as stealing it? It's a logical question. What's the most important commandment? But it was also dangerous because no matter what he answered, he opened himself up for criticism. If he said, well, the most important command is you shall not kill, then they'd say, Jesus doesn't care about adultery. Um, so no matter what he answered, he was, going, he was facing criticism. So when he was asked what the most important command in the Bible was, he bypassed all the Ten Commandments, all the ceremonial and moral laws, and he talked about love. The greatest command is to love God with all of our being, and the second is to love others. And he said all of the law is summed up in this. So the first thing we learn from Jesus about love in this passage is that loving God and others is God's highest priority for us and his highest expectation of us. Love is the first and greatest commandment. And what does he mean by love? Well, I'm a child of the 60s. I know that it's hard to believe just looking at me. Oh, you certainly couldn't have been born in the 60s, but no, it's true. We were the love generation. We were experts in this area. We had great slogans. Make love, not war. You can see how that's transformed our world. (laughs) Or love means never having to say you're sorry. I never found that worked in marriage. 
But it was our songs that really brought the whole panorama of love into focus. I'm in love, I'm all shook up. All you need is love. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? I should be singing these, right? <laughs> what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Yeah, that's the only thing that there's just no too little of. Or some enchanted evening, you will see a stranger across a crowded room. And then my all-time favorite, hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? Now what has resulted from all of this profound philosophical reflection is that people think of love as a feeling, an emotion, maybe even a secondhand emotion. Now where my parents' generation may have used words like responsibility and commitment when talking about love, we turned it into a tingle, shock waves, We make contact across a crowded room. We feel a sizzle. And I'm in love with you even though I don't know your name. And that's all we need. No wonder our society is so confused about love. It's my generation's fault and some of your generation. Now I don't want to eliminate the sizzle factor in love, I mean, Apparently even Aquaman and Mira have to have some kind of chemistry if the sequel's going to work. But is that all it is? We talk about falling out of love, and what we mean is we no longer have the same feelings toward a person. But when we reduce love to a feeling, we weaken and distort it. And when the Bible talks about love, it is much more solid and robust It portrays love as an attitude, as action. Probably the the most eloquent description of love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four to seven. And Paul begins this chapter by talking how important love is, and then he gives us this description that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That is what God wants from us. Toward him, and toward others. It is our highest priority. Jesus expects that kind of love to be true of us. The second thing we learn from Jesus about love in this passage is that love fulfills the law. All the commandments are tied up in this. He says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The Apostle Paul said it similarly, where he said, uh, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, in Galatians 5.14. It all comes down to love. That's an interesting concept. 
We tend to think of the law, of law, as rules and restrictions. If there is a speed limit sign on the road, it's telling me I can't go faster than that, or at least I can't go 10 to 15 kilometers faster than that. And so we tend to think of laws as rules, and restrictions, and God says the law is about love. That's a fascinating concept. I can't help but wonder what would have been different during COVID if we had looked at the various health regulations coming out of, um, out of the coronavirus from this perspective. Instead of it being a matter of losing my freedom and violating my rights, it was a matter of loving our neighbor as ourself. How much angst and disunity could we have avoided if we'd had that perspective? It all comes down to love. Now that doesn't mean that all those other commands don't matter, that it's okay for me to exploit you or lie to you or steal from you, commit adultery with you or even kill you as long as I have fond feelings for you. The key is love. If I love God with all my heart and soul and mind, I won't have other gods or allow idols in my life or treat him disrespectfully. If I love others, I won't exploit them, lie to them, steal from them, commit adultery with them, kill them, or be jealous of what they are and have. But the flip side is also true. If I don't do all those things to you, but for some other reason besides love, like a sense of duty or fear of, of, of being caught, well, then I'm still not fulfilling the law. I'm just basically keeping the rules at that point. Love is the key. The second passage that Jesus, that Jesus taught his disciples was John 13, 34 and 35. The context of this is the Last Supper. In less than 24 hours, Jesus is going to be dead, and his disciples will be shattered and scattered and hiding for their lives. He has already shocked them this evening by washing their feet, and then by telling them that one of them was going to betray him. Then he talks about love. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now notice the repetition in this. Three times he repeats this phrase, love one another. So the third thing that we can learn from Jesus about love is that we have a special responsibility to love each other. Now Jesus identifies this as a new command, even though the command to love others goes clear back to Leviticus. But there are a couple of innovations in this command. And the first is that he specifically says that we are to love each other, whereas in the great commandment, it's to love our neighbor. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have to love your neighbor. In other places, we're told to love our neighbor, our parents, our spouse, our friends, 
even our enemies who are bullying and persecuting us. But we have a special responsibility to love each other. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That could be the COVID verse, don't you think? (laughs) Hang in there, everybody. Hey, we're gonna get through this. Don't give up. Don't Don't become weary in doing good. We will reap a harvest. Then he goes on to say, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Central, Jesus expects you to love each other. Even when it's hard, even when they like our prime minister or don't like our prime minister, even when they disagree on masks and vaccines, even when they prefer Windows over Macs. And Jesus expects you to love the church down the street, up the street, I don't know where I'm oriented here, and even if it's hard. The fourth thing that Jesus, we learn from Jesus on love is that love is to be our defining characteristic. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are to show the world what real love is. No matter how ugly and hateful it gets out there, this congregation should be an oasis of love. Last week, I attended a Zoom search team meeting with a, with a church in Vancouver that's very multicultural, and they were interviewing a candidate. And the, the candidate just said, how, how are you able to attract all of these different cultures and nations and have them be part of your church? And one of the, one of the uh, members of the committee said that that from the very beginning when the church was planted, um, it, the, it was planted on the agape principle. Now if you're not, if you don't, haven't hung around church a lot, agape is the Greek word that Jesus is using in these passages, what he says to love. It's the Greek word for love, one of the Greek words for love. And so he said that this, that this church was built on this agape principle, this love principle, and, it is, and we have carried that value through the history of our church. I thought that was really cool. Jesus' desire is that when we go out on the street to ask people what they know about your church, that they would talk about your love. that when people think about your church, they would think about love. The teachers go home and say, I've got some kids in my class from Central Baptist and they are the most loving kids I know. Kids go home, say my teacher is from Central Baptist. I've never had such a caring teacher. Customers go home and say, I bought something from someone who goes to Central Baptist last week. I've never had a salesperson like that that cared more about me than making the sale. 
Her driver goes home and says, I was pulled over today by a police officer who goes to Central Baptist. <laughs> Still got the ticket, but that officer was the most compassionate I have seen. Or people say, my neighbors go to Central Baptist and they are the kindest neighbors you could ever hope for. Wouldn't you love to be part of a church like that? Well, you are the church. And as that well-known theologian, Jean-Luc Picard says, make it so. (laughs) The fifth thing that we learn from Jesus in this passage is that Jesus shows us what love is. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus upped the game big time when he said this. He called this a new command. The old command was love your neighbor as yourself. The new command is love others the way I love you. That puts it into a whole different category. And then he reinforces that a couple of chapters later, the same night. In John 15, 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then in verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Notice the emphasis on keeping Jesus' commands. The same as in the Great Commission where Jesus said to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So obedience isn't an option for the Christian. Now between them, between those two verses, he tells um, what those commands are. That we will keep if we love him, and that we will keep if we are his friend. Verses 12 and 13, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. In the mid 200s, a terrible plague swept across the Roman Empire. It lasted for 12 years. Think about that. COVID has gone on forever. And it's only been a little over two. At its height, an estimated 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome alone. Whole families were dying alone in their homes. People were in a panic. As people started to die in a home, they would frequently be thrown out into the street to die, and the bodies were just left there, um, lying there. No one was burying them. It was a time of panic and lawlessness. Many who were in power fled to go to safer places, including prominent medical people. But the church was quick to respond. Christians visited the sick. They cared for the dying. They helped families. They saved countless 
numbers of people, and they died. They lived out loving like Jesus to the point of their own death. And as a result, many came to faith through the sacrificial love of those Christians. One church leader, Cyprian of Carthage, wrote that the plague revealed people's hearts and minds. It helped the Christians overcome their fear of death, gave their minds the glory of fortitude, and it helped them prepare for the waiting crown. The plague revealed people's hearts and minds. Do you think COVID has revealed people's hearts and minds? I wonder how the church during this time is going to be remembered. So as we look at these five things from Jesus on love, there are a couple of things that stand out to me. One is what a challenge this kind of love is. The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. All. Are you there yet? If you are, please come up here and take my place and finish this message, because I'm not there yet. I believe that I love him with more of my heart, soul, and mind than I used to, but I'm still a long way from all. There are just way too many distractions and anxieties and disappointments and temptations. They all get in the way of loving God with all my being. So this is a lifetime journey of transformation. We need to be growing and growing and growing in our love for God. It's a big challenge. Loving others the way Jesus loved us is also a huge challenge. If I love you as I love myself, that means that if I don't want to be exploited or lied to or stolen from or killed, I shouldn't do it to you. This is a golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But to love someone like Jesus loves us takes it to a whole different level. It's beyond showing you the same consideration that I show myself. This means being willing to sacrifice myself for you, caring more about you than I care about myself. So this kind of love is a huge challenge. But the second thing that comes to my mind as I reflect on these two passages is what a difference this kind of love will make. That's the kind of love that people will notice. Teachers who love like Jesus. Students who love like Jesus. Salespeople who love like Jesus. Law enforcement officers who love like Jesus. Husbands and wives who love like Jesus. Parents and kids who love like Jesus. Pastors and church leaders who love like Jesus. 
That's the kind of love that is the hope of the world. As followers of Jesus, love is our highest priority and defining characteristic. Let's get out there and show the world what love is. Let's get out there and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the high bar you set. I apologize for how far short I fall in loving both you and others. But Lord, I pray that as Central moves into this time of transition, that it would be a time of unprecedented love for you, for each other, for this city, for our world. I pray that you would refresh the hearts of the people and leaders of this congregation that you would, that would renew their courage, renew their resolve, that you would help them to, to, to be the church that you want them to be during this important time. And I pray that you would bring them a great lead pastor to help lead them on. For it's in your name we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.